Hello, I'm Russ Jones, pastor at Faith Family Worship Center, and this is After the Sermon. Well, welcome to this week's episode. Now, before I get into this podcast, I want to share something with you. For the last, oh, 56 episodes or so, I've been sharing with you thoughts and challenges I didn't have to share in my morning messages. And COVID did some stuff, okay? So, you know, I typically would have shared this in a morning message, and now I don't have time. Lots of different reasons. And I'm not uh, upset or angry about it. That's, that's not the point. It's just change has to happen. And um, believe me, whatever I tell you, a pastor has more to share than they have time for. That's just not only just who we are, but that's the very nature of what we do. We're sharing from the Word of God. And uh, I don't know if you notice, that's a big book. Um, so there's lots to share, and, and we want to be able to do as much as we can with you in the time that's given unto us. But I want to start doing something different. Um, after the sermon, people have two challenges. After every sermon, people have two challenges. Number one, remembering the message what did I preach last week? Yeah, um, you might be struggling. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I look, I'm thinking, what did I say? I can't remember. And number two, making it a reality in your life. Those two things right there are important because messages aren't just the pastor's thoughts about something that he thinks that should be. It isn't something that somebody told him or her to say. It's what the Holy Spirit's laid upon their hearts, that in this time, this is what you need. And so making a message or a part of a message or the challenge to respond to the challenges of the message is a integral part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So instead of sharing something that I didn't have time to share in my message, I want to start focusing on how you can make these messages a reality in your life. And that's, you know, I've said it again and again. You cannot and will never be able to get enough out of a Sunday message to get you through a whole day, much less a whole week. You've got to invest more if you want more. Now, let me say it again. You've got to invest more if you want more. So you need to be in the Word of God every day. You need to be in a hope group. You need to pray and listen to God. You need to be invested in this community of faith. And with that said, you know, there's, whether you're online or if you're part of, you know, you're here sometimes and you're online sometimes or you're here all the time, doesn't matter. You need to get connected with us in, in the different avenues that are available. Getting, um, you know, get a version app, uh, the Bible app. Make sure that you ask for the Friendship of Faith Family Worship Center and, and be a part of what we're doing online, not only with notes, but also with Bible studies that we'll be doing together. Go to our website at ffwc.us and look up hope groups and find what you can be a part of right now. And if you're listening to this podcast and you attend another church, be a part of that church. It's always been my belief that people should go to church where God sends them I think we've spent too much time trying to find a church that pleases us. Mm, I, I wonder sometimes if uh, we don't make some big mistakes by practicing that kind of stuff. So 
I'm sitting here, I've got my coffee, and I'm going to share with you through this podcast how to get closer to Christ. Now, I believe the closer you get, the better your experiences will be with Him. I want you to be close enough to receive His joy and hope that He has in store for your life. I want you to be so close that His presence sees you through your needs. Let me share it to you this way. People are always looking for answers every day, and there are plenty of them out there. And some of them are good, and some of them are, no, they're, they're not good at all. But seeking answers without God's wisdom or help only leads to frustration and disappointment. Some people believe that God has failed them. But God can never fail where he was never invited But pastor, I did invite him and and he still failed. I know I can hear that from here and I get it. And through this series of messages, not for sale, I believe you're going to get it too. And you're going to understand possibly what, what the disconnect is, what's going on. I believe that for many people of faith, they have unwittingly created a hybrid faith that allows them to be in the room with God, but not to get too close. Comfortable, but not too risky challenging with a minimal amount of comfortable change. I know somebody's going to start using the word compromise, and it will that word will be useful at some particular point, but do most people know that they're compromising their faith? No, they don't. I, I really don't. I've talked to hundreds of followers of Christ, asking them about their relationship with Jesus and about what they do in their personal life and everything else. And, and they never say, well, I've compromised my faith. They, they don't even realize or see it or understand it. Um, but we know what happens. You say, why? Well, why do people balk at a church that is so dysfunctional? Why are people leaving the church that they have attended? Why are people, why, why, why are people happy to know Jesus but refuse to be a part of his church? You see, something's wrong. There's, a, there's, there's something that is, that is beginning to catch the attention, not only of myself, but many church leaders and people who study the church to say, whoa, hang on a second. Now, we know that COVID sped everything up. Nobody can deny that. And for most of the people that are in the know and do the research and everything else, most of the time they say that it has advanced the church five years. We've, we've pushed it five years in advance. Some say 10 my question is, how far behind were we before this happened? So we may have been, we may put on fast forward to go forward five or 10 years, but weren't we already five or 10 years behind? Yeah, we were. And um, statisticians and people who research this, they, they've admitted this for a very long time. People that I know that are very, very smart, much smarter than me, believe me. Um, they, they say, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what we see. So when we look at what's happening around us and, and we take stock or we survey the land, the first thing is always, the first thing to always do is just have an honest assessment, an honest view of what's happening. Even if you don't like what you see, at least be honest about it. You can do more from that position than from a place of flight or fantasy. Okay? The Lord's Prayer which starts with our Father in heaven, begins to lay down the groundwork for a journey to become closer to Christ. 
Now, to praise Jesus prayed, that's a smart thing to do. That really is. Remember, in Romans 8.29, which was in my message, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, that last part means that He set the example for you and me to follow. Jesus came, and not only was He the Son of God, and He still is the Son of God, but He lived His life as the Son of Man, so that you and I would know how to live our lives. We're, we're not copycats for praying as Jesus prayed, and we're not weak, too weak to discover our own way. If we do what Jesus did, we will get what Jesus got. That was the message. He was laying it out so simple for us. Now, number one, I want to make it about we and not about me. Remember, our our Father. You and I are part of a community of faith called the church. Now, I'm not making Faith Family Worship Center exclusive in this. This is not an exclusive statement. I know some churches do that, and, but I'm not doing it. There are many God-fearing, Bible-believing churches that believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to God, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that the Bible is the inspired Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, so got that clear? Good. But the value of the church is found in loving others as Jesus would love them. Now let me say that again. The value of church is found in loving others as Jesus would love them. Too often we look at the church as something that we, I don't know, we, we shop for. We, you know, like we shop for a good mechanic or a better doctor. Well, let's go get a better church. Eh, no, that's not how, how, it, how it works. The value of your church is found in loving people. Now, why do we think that the church is a denomination, an organization, a Sunday service, or a building? That's beyond me, that none of those are the church. But we love those things because we can control them. They're just tools that, when properly managed, create a valued community of faith that we enjoy and are proud to be a part of. The church is people. That's it. Just It's, it's us. It's you. It's me. What you think of the church is what you think of people. If you don't like the church, you don't like people. Now, let me illustrate. Someone a while back told me, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. So I popped back, and, and I had the latitude to do this. So don't read between the lines thinking I'm some evil pastor ogre. Okay, stop. I, I popped back, and I said, oh, you love Jesus, but you hate me? And they stuttered and they stammered. No, 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 that, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But you know that the church is people, right? And so when you devalue or discard the church, all you're doing is devaluing or discarding the people. The look of horror on their face was priceless. Well, you know what I mean. Not all. Not all. That's, this was their response. You, you know what I mean. Not just you, just the ones that I can't stand. <laughs> I laughed at that one and probably shouldn't have done it. Um, but anyhow, but who are you to get to pick and choose what your church looks like or, or who attends it? Ooh, 
that that doesn't go over well. Now, um, who are you to get the privilege to love or reject? The church is a place where we love one another, but it's also a place where we learn how to love and be loved. It is that value right there that's the game changer, okay? Whenever we realize that the people come in broken and hurting and in need, and we may want to roll our eyes by, uh, up in the back of our head and going, oh, no, we got to do it. Oh, no, and this is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It, you're right. It is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. The question that's in my mind is whenever you first came to church, who looked at you the same way? Hmm. You and I live in a world that is redefining love on a daily basis. Love is like water, okay? Put water in a glass, and the walls of that glass give meaning and purpose to it. You can drink from it. You can pour it out. You can freeze it. Whatever. Get it? But without boundaries, water becomes a mess, and it floods into places it doesn't belong, and it destroys what it touches. This kind of love leads to abuses, and abuses that are done in the name of love. No wonder people want to control love. No wonder people want to control God. Because if you're afraid of love, you will be afraid of God. The love that God shows us, though, comes with boundaries. He set them up. You just read his word. In his character, you can see it. He will not hurt you. He will never leave you or give up on you. He will discipline you because he loves you. He will draw you close and comfort you. He will empower you. He wants to include you in his kingdom, his plan. You're not a cog in a big wheel. You're important to him. And we are to love each other the same way. Everybody you see is important to God. And if he, that, that person's important to God, they're important to you too. Let's be honest though. He's perfect and we're not. Oh, I hope that wasn't a newsflash. Take it easy. And don't, if you're listening, driving down the road, don't crash the car over this one. Need more coffee. Hang on. He never needs to be forgiven. We're the ones who need to be forgiven, and quite often. Philippians 2.3 becomes very helpful here. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Mm. When it is about we and not about me, we do what Jesus did. Ah, so you can understand the opposite of that, right? Jesus didn't come to be served. Matthew 28, 28 tells us that. In fact, it goes on to say that he came to serve. He came to love us and in doing so showed us how to do the same thing, how to love one another. Look at the disciples, the early church. Jesus changed their lives and in their desire to draw closer to him, they discovered a new joy in serving each other in reaching their world in Jesus' name. They chose to love each other. They chose to love their world, even though their world hated them. So here's a quick exercise you can do right now. Look around. No, if you're driving, don't do that. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Um, do, just, you know, you get it. It's, I'm being symbolic here, all right? But look around your life and see people. See them. I mean, just, just look. Don't, don't be weird about it. Okay, just, but see people. Are they saved? Ask yourself, is that person saved? No? Hmm. Do they need a friend, somebody to share a cup of coffee with? 
Do you need to pray for them? Do you need to tell them that you're praying for them? Can you do something, an act of compassion, that will let them know that you care? Are you gifted with some kind of skill or ability, naturally or supernaturally, that can be relevant to them right now? And here comes the problem. I already know what's happening. You're going, but what if? What if? What if? What if, what if they take care, take advantage of me? What, what if, what if they, they don't appreciate what I do? What if they don't accept God or come to church? What if they burn me? Well, let's walk through these. You've taken advantage of Jesus. How many times have you disobeyed him, even though you claim to be his follower? Hmm. Especially in the culture we live in today, we assume too much especially at first. Later, when, whenever we learn how others love Jesus, we, we eventually get it. But you remember in the early days of being a follower of Christ? Yeah, you weren't that good at it. And not, not even knowing or understanding you were taking advantage of God's grace. But he understood you were going to grow out of that. So his patience kicked in. Hmm. What if they don't appreciate it? What about this are you trying to get credit for? Do you think you've got to keep score? No. Don't worry about whether they appreciate it or not. That's not the point. What if they don't accept God or come to church? Well, let me help you with this one. Paul said that some people will plant the seed, talking about the gospel. Some will water it uh, so that it'll grow, and then somebody else is going to reap it. Where are you in the process? You know, quite often, I don't know. Whenever, whenever I, I lead people to Jesus or I talk to people about Jesus, I don't know if I'm sowing, if I'm watering, or if I'm reaping. I, I have no idea. God does. And so be comfortable in knowing that you're doing something as opposed to nothing. What if they burn me? Well, setting boundaries that allows love to be offered is good. And some people don't understand that, and you may find yourself having a difficult conversation they don't like. I get it. I have to have these conversations all the time. That's the world we live in. But you are offering them the love of God, and that love comes with boundaries and standards too. So you're helping them understand that God is going to love them, and he has some boundaries that he would like for them to not cross because doing so would be very harmful to their health, their future, their body, their soul, their spirit. Now, number two, answer this question. Who is God to you? The answer to that question really does have a huge bearing on, on, on your faith. Is he the creator of the heavens and the earth? Is he the creator of all mankind, including yourself? Is he the savior of your soul, redeeming you from hell? Is he? Really, is he the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God that loves you no matter what? So your answer is yes? Good. Prove it. How? What does your worship look like? Now, lay, let's lay down some ground rules here to the answer that question. First of all, worship isn't an event like a Sunday service or a Christian concert. All right? You can worship in those environments, but that's not worship. Worship isn't just singing your favorite Christian artist on the radio as you're driving down the road at the top of your lungs. Worship is honoring God with your life and lifestyle. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we are made of body, soul, and spirit. 
So how do you worship God with your body, soul, and spirit? What do you do? What don't, and, and, and understand what you don't do is just as important of a question. Your attitudes, your actions, your values, your beliefs, your character and integrity, it all worships God all the time. But do we just do what we need to do to get his attention? Or are we trying to get closer to him? That's an act of worship. When a subject would enter the king's throne room, I talked about this in my message, they would approach and bow down. Now, the meaning of the New Testament Greek word often translated worship is to fall down before or to bow down before. So to get the image, your, your feet, your toes, then your knees, and then your forehead on the floor. And there before you, there, there you before the king, I should say, you are completely vulnerable. With one fell swoop of a sword, off with your head. But your love for him and his love for you allows you to trust each other so that you can do that and know the king isn't going to kill you. And your act of honor pleases the king. I wonder sometimes people are just terrified to worship God because they're afraid of what he's going to do to them. I mentioned this in my message. We don't have a faith problem. We have a love problem. Do you love God enough to worship him the way he wants you to worship him? Now, why not take the time? You may even want to pause the podcast right here and just honor him. And, and if you need some help, you can follow along here. You can say, Lord, I love you. I know that the only reason I'm here is because of your son, Jesus. You are my king, and I raise your name above all other names. You care for me. You see me through rough times. You provide for my needs. I cannot live without you in my life every day. I need you, and I want you to be a part of my life. Now, number three, heaven. Heaven is a real place and God is there. Okay, we got that straightened out. Now, you better be thankful that he isn't of this earth. Can you imagine if God was no smarter than you or me? Could you imagine if God wasn't aware of everything going on all the time? Could you imagine that if you had to wake up God in order to get him to hear you and hear your prayers? I know you're kind of thinking, some of you are thinking, well, that's just outright foolishness. But I'm highlighting qualities of idols and false gods that people worship today. That's what they believe of their gods, that their gods are no smarter than them or they have to wake them up. But these feeble imitations of God are products of men's need to control everything based in Satan's lie that you can control everything. You have never been in control of everything. You will never be in control of everything. Let me focus this for you. Recently, I heard a high-ranking government official say, we need to control the climate. Now, as I remember, this used to be about being good managers of the earth. In other words, don't be wasteful or destructive. Now, now it's literally about controlling weather patterns. You see, to me, it's just arrogant to say that mankind can do anything God can do. We can't. Um... Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Do a good intensive study on that. There's some homework for you. You can do it. I I believe in you. You can do it. And see how God looks upon 
us in this earth. The comparison between the two. I think it'll be an eye-opener for you. You and I need a God who is bigger than us, smarter than us, greater than us. We need a God who can do the impossible. We need a God who can suspend the laws of nature, rewrite DNA, do miracles and wonders that only he can do. Do you know that God? Is that the one? Is he the one that you're worshiping? Now, usually at this point, somebody will say, I don't have enough faith. I'm not good enough. Oh, God would never do that for me. I'm not that important. I don't need his help. And all of a sudden, your worship comes to a screeching halt. Why? Because you don't know the God that I know, that other people know. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God. The God of David, Solomon, and Josiah is your God. The God of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel is your God. The God of Peter, John, Mark, Paul, he's your God. That is the God you worship. He is the one who can change everything. And so we pray, our Father in heaven. Not mine, that's selfish, ours. Together we discover who he is, and together we honor him the way he wants to be honored. Father, I thank you for what you've done for your many blessings, and I pray that you pour out your spirit upon your people right now. Help us to make this a reality, that we begin to see you for who you really are. And in this journey, we learn and grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. If you would like to know more about Faith Family Worship Center, please visit the website at ffwc.us. Check out our YouTube channel, FFWC Palm City. And you can also visit my website, russjones.us.